0: for a show to watch on Netflix recently and as I was browsing down through the app, um, you know, they categorise all the different TV shows, you know, you get your actions, your dramas, your uh, comedies and whatnot. Um, there was a very interesting categorization of movies that struck me. Um, it, it was this. Movies featuring a strong female lead. It's an interesting categorization, isn't it? I, 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 for me, it was just nothing says more overtly to us that Netflix has a cultural agenda that it wants to reflect. That, that one of the great cultural mantras of our time the empowerment of women, among other classifications of society. This is top, the empowerment of women. That's the culture in which we find ourselves in. And it's into that culture that we read these words, which, which, which from the Bible are going to form the key text I want us to look at today. Okay? They're not the ones that... Karen read to us. This is written by a man called Paul and he's writing to a church uh, in a place called Ephesus. And here's what he writes to them. I do not permit a women to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to go (laughs) there? I don't want to go there. Thanks, Paul, who <laughs> went there. It's his <laughs> fault. He is the sinner. I hope that you have a, a, at least half a dozen questions sitting in your mind right now. And, and I hope that some of them will be answered today and, and, and in some of the details as we go along. And just if you're new, if you're jumping in, Today, we're talking about church, actually, not women. Um, and, and, and the church is the body of Christ. The question we have to ask today that we want to set time aside for is, where has God placed women in the church to be his body? That's, that's where this fits, okay? We'll get to the details of what goes on there in Timothy in a while. For now, let me just... Give you a principle that I think Paul is laying out here. He's saying to us that men and women are different. Right? Culture culture very much pushes to say there there are no differences. Paul is saying, no, there are differences. And these differences boil up to different roles men and women play in the household and in the household of God. They're different. They're not the same. There are Christians who would also argue that they are no different. They are essentially the same. One can do the role of the other. The other can do the role of the other. There are no differences. And I can't go down that interpretation and the reasons why today I don't have time. I'm going to go with what I think is the best interpretation of this. Men, women are different. They are different, Paul says because they always have been different. They were supposed to be different. Here's the significant thing about what comes out of these verses. Do you know where he goes? He says they are different because they were created to be different in the beginning. He goes back to a place in the Bible called Genesis. He goes right back to the beginning of mankind as as Christianity understands it, where we read that God has created the world uh, and he has created it good and perfect. In it, he has put uh, Adam, who is a representative of, uh, of men, of mankind, Eve, who is a representative of women in mankind. They are to live in this place. Under his fatherly authority, they are to love him and respect him. And the way that is sort of lived out in the story of Genesis is, you heard it in Karen's reading, there's this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says, eat whatever you like in this garden except this one. Obey me in this: respect me in this. And then the story goes. as you read it, into the picture comes a different character, uh, is represented by a snake in this story of Genesis and what went wrong with humankind. Satan, Satan challenges the teaching that God has handed down. Did God really say? surely you won't die eve believes it she passes on fruit to adam adam believes it they both fail and things go badly for humanity that's the story of genesis okay here's the question what is it that ties adam eve the tree the snake imagine a string that i'm pulling all the way across here to the church to to men, women, elders, church. what's the thing that connects all of that in this passage? it's not jesus usually is, but not this one. <laughs> it's teaching. it's teaching. Adam's role, I believe, in Genesis was to be a teacher. We didn't read it this morning, but the verse just before the, the, um, the, the bit that Karen read to us in the, in the detailed account of Adam and Eve, God says to Adam, don't eat of any tree in the garden. Eve was not created yet. She's not even there. The assumption is, I think the best interpretation is the role, the responsibility that God had of Adam was that he would pass this teaching through. And Eve knew the teaching at the time of temptation. She quoted it back to Satan. So Adam presumably had done his job as least as far as that was concerned. But then, what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Satan's teaching. Satan's teaching. Eve Eve is teaching Adam and things go badly for the world. What's going on here is the directional flow of teaching goes against what God had intended. What God had intended was that God lays it down to Adam, it passes through Adam to Eve into the world and things should go well. Instead, what happens? The directional flow is reversed. Satan comes down Teaches Eve, teaches Adam, and things go badly. Paul's argument for the church is if that was supposed to be how the directional flow of teaching was going to go in the created order, why would it not go the same way in the church? Why should it not go the same way in the church? Just as it went badly for the world when that was ignored in Genesis, so it will go badly for the church if it is ignored in the church. That's the simple argument. But you have, rightly, I think, three objections to this, which I want to touch on. The first one is quite important. The other two, equally important, but I won't spend as much time on. The first one is, doesn't all this really bespeak of an inequality? Isn't this saying that Eve is less important or less valuable than Adam. Eve is an inferior being. Morally, and just as a person, it's it's this two-tiered system of humanity. The important ones, the Adams. The lesser important ones, the Eves. Isn't this what you kind of get from this story? I put it to you, that is impossible to get from this story. It's impossible because of how Eve is described as she is created. Did you pick in Karen's reading, Eve, Eve is described as a suitable helper. Our immediate reaction to that is, helper is not as important as the leader. There's leaders and there's helpers, right? That's what immediately jumps to our minds. Utterly not the case in the biblical text. You know who's most commonly described as a helper in the Bible? An Ezer. The 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 the, the Hebrew word is an... Oops, I'm going backwards. Ezer. You know who's most commonly described as an Ezer? God. Yeah, Holy Spirit in the New Testament. God is the easer of humanity and humanity needs the easer. It depends on the easer because it cannot live, thrive, be who it's supposed to be without God. (laughs) The whole point of the Genesis story is that Adam is incapable of ruling and living and being in this whole Eden place that God has put him. He cannot do it without Eve. It is precisely because he's incapable, it's precisely because he depends on Eve that he needs Eve that Eve is created in the first place, as an easer. But not just an easer, that word suitable is also a very poor word in English, really. The word is conegdo. And it's really three Hebrew words that are fused into one. And here's the basic meaning of that word kinegdo. It's the idea of someone who stands before you Facing you, opposing you, not simply allowing you to go whichever direction you choose. Think with me for a moment. I, I'd love to think of this moment in the story of, of Genesis where, 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 where Satan comes in. I'm speculating, but I'd love to picture Eve here in her full glory as an Isa Konegdo being the one who says to Adam, come on, man. Do your job. Fulfill your role. Eve is never called, by the way, to follow Adam outside the word and the will of God. In marriage... Eve, you never follow Adam outside the word and the will of God. In church, you never follow the Adam's elders outside the word and the will of God. And if they lead you there, you, you either connect to them, you push back, you help them to carry the teaching of God through. It is the only way in which the teaching of God will be carried through if Eve is an Eza Knegdo who helps that teaching to be carried through. There is nothing inferior about this. There is nothing in equal about this. Different? Yes. But equal. Right? Second objection that people often put to to this teaching is, doesn't this give license for men to abuse? Because men take this precisely as they are more important. How can it? How can it possibly, for any man, who's willing to come before the living God and understand his responsibility as an Adam, supposed to conform to the likeness of the new Adam, possibly serve as a license to abuse. You know what gives rise to the abuse and misuse of men, by men, of others? It's the perverseness and the warpness, and the sin of men who before abusing anyone else abuses what God has had in mind here that is not what he had in mind at all right there's simply no way in which we understand who biblically Adam is supposed to be, who biblically Eve is supposed to be and conclude that this gives rise to abuse abuse happens, it's not because of that That goes the opposite direction. Imagine a masculinity in a culture who understood itself, where men understood themselves, to need to be like Jesus. Can you imagine that culture? Can you imagine when they're called to responsibility? This is who you created to be. Can you imagine a church like that? And where that role is carried through fiercely, And when it's not being done by Adam, where women fiercely oppose it and stand against it until it is done, it's astonishingly beautiful. And that is what God had in mind. That is what God had in mind when he created Adam and Eve. Third objection. really comes from the Timothy verse... um, Women will be saved through childbearing. The outcry from women is, this has been understood by cultures in history that the only thing women are good for is to bear children and raise them because clearly, isn't it, this is what the Bible says, that women will be saved through childbearing and therefore that places the parameters of the role of a woman in society and culture as a whole, which is utter rubbish. It is utter rubbish. Women... In culture and society, are not confined to anything. They can be prime ministers and lawyers and doctors, you name it. By the way, everything we're talking about here really applies to the family and the church, right? But, but yes, think the 1950s expectations that culture imposed on women. Good for childbearing, without contraception and home and family life. So the question is, what does that mean? Women, let me ask you a question. How are you saved? Shell it out. David. That is the Jesus answer. How's everybody else saved? David. Where did he come from? Into our world. Mary. A woman. He came from a woman. Right. Mary, did you know that your baby boy? would one day walk on water, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. How stunning. How stunning the bestowment of crowning glory on all humanity that God would come to us and save us, being born as a child by one of us. (laughs) It's marvellous. It it should be savoured. It should be just always fallen in front of, in worship, the fact that God would come to us. That's what it means And that is all that it means. It means nothing more. To say that she'll be saved through childbirth, right? I've taken you through the reasons why Paul says men and women are different. We've answered some objections. Now let's, as we journey through to where we're going to conclude. So what does it mean then? What does it mean for women as part of the body of Christ. And I don't want us to think along the lines of, what are women allowed to do? It's such a stupid question. Because that bespeaks inferiority. The question is, what is God calling women to do? What has he created them for? In a powerful way, as part of his body, the church. That's where we need to think. Paul's statement I don't permit a woman to teach, to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. Does not apply to all women in all situations in everything the church does. It's impossible. It's impossible for all the reasons I'll take you through now. Let's look at the New Testament briefly. Okay, we've been there. Let me introduce you to some women of the New Testament that all were not silent in the church at all. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 5 Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered as honours her head It's the same as having her head shaved. Now ignore all the head stuff. That's all cultural. That stuff is cultural. You can ignore that. But look at the implication here. Every woman who prays or prophesies those are speaking things. Right? Speaking in the church, I would argue teaching. We read in Acts 21 of a guy named Philip. He he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. We read in Luke, there was a prophet called Anna. We spoke about prophecy a few weeks ago, what it is and how it might come to build up the church of God I can't go into what it is today, but we need to think about how it's alive in the church today. And let's be very clear, God is calling women to build the church up through it. It's clear, right? UDS These are women who are described as having contended at my side, Paul says, in the cause of the gospel. I believe they were missionaries, evangelists. Timothy is described as a person who contended by Paul's side. Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. You who contend by my side. You stand up. Your part of the body of Christ is to teach the gospel, to speak the gospel to those who don't know it. That's where you belong. That's where you must do. The body depends on it. It cannot be the body without it. Right? I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon... Of the church of Shen Shre. We'll talk about deacons in a few weeks' time, but Stephen, the first martyred deacon in the church, was one of the key qualifications of a deacon in Acts. Anyone know remember? We don't quite uphold that in our church <laughs> life, but what did a deacon have to be able to do? Share the gospel and teach. Imagine Stephen's sermon at the point where he gets martyred. He teaches and he preaches a phenomenal message in the face of those who stand ready with the stones to be thrown at him. Phoebe's a deacon. The expectation is and was and probably in reality is that she has done the same thing. Right? (laughs) Must teach. Must be deacons. But now... Here's the question, actually, I'll get back to that in a minute. Let me go to the next slide first. The last woman I want to uphold to you. In this church of Ephesus, into which Paul speaks these first words, we read one day there's a guy who comes along, his name is Apollos. He starts to teach and preach. But his teaching is wrong. And in that church, there's a couple. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, they're not mentioned in here, are they mentioned in here? Yeah, they are, that's right. Priscilla is always mentioned first. In biblical language, that means she's the leader, she's the important one, she's the prominent one. They hear Apollos preach and they hear he's absolutely making a mess of what he's teaching and what do they do? They pull him aside, they say, hey man, you've got this wrong, (laughs) let us help you, let us teach you and I would I clearly presume it's Priscilla who's taking the lead on this. Let me teach you Apollos so that you can carry the teaching through to the people of God. She eases him. She connects him. She models that to us beautifully. Our problem with teaching in the church is, is perhaps this, and this is where I want to pull that quote up just briefly. And then we'll finish. To entrust the ministry of teaching and governing to an office bearer, in other words, elders, to say that elders are responsible primarily for teaching and leading, that's one thing. But restricting all ministries of the word, which is teaching the Bible, to those in office, is quite another. We have to think whether we place too much importance and emphasis on a 30-minute Sunday morning sermon. That is teaching, yes. Elders are responsible for that, yes. But it's so much more than that. There is so much more teaching to be done. The body depends so much more on women being involved in all those variety of other contexts of teaching for its faithfulness, for its fruitfulness, for the gospel and the glory of God, that it cannot be overstated. So first of all, you have to understand if you're a woman that you are called to teach and speak the word of God if that is your gift. Somewhere in the life of the church, that is your place And that is where you must make your contribution. And we must build that up. Secondly, we must think about how we worship when we gather together as a church. Is there room for women to prophesy to us under the oversight of elders? Is there room for women to preach to us per occasion under the oversight of male elders? Some churches who hold to this theology say, no, there's something quite unique about the gathering of God and men or elders should teach in it because that reflects what Paul says in Timothy. Others say, no, uh, not necessarily. Women can teach and preach in the gathering under the oversight of elders. We need to work that through. We need to think through what that looks like for pathway. And by God's grace, we will. All the while, understanding the principle underneath it. God has equipped his body with a phenomenal range of teaching gifts. How are they employed? How are they finding their full expression so that the body can be all that the body is called to be? That's the principle. Now let me finish off. There's a very real... danger in all of this that we need to avoid, probably the biggest danger of all, and that is the danger to confuse our worth and our value with our role or our gender. You are not your role. You are not your gender. What matters about you, the only thing that makes you valuable, the only thing, the only thing, is Christ. An elder who abuses someone else and expects silence over it, by virtue of his authority that comes with his role, is elevating his role above Christ. Right. The militant feminist who thinks that the whole world and herself will be fixed if all the gender issues are achieved, that will contain freedom and fullness, is elevating gender above Christ. And there's a woman in the scriptures who lead the way for us in this spectacularly I want to finish as concluding words just reading her story and then we'll leave it there let's see if i can find it here it is jesus was invited to dinner with some leading men Little later, Jesus turned toward the woman and said to the Pharisee who 's called Simon, "Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil." on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown and jesus said to her your sins are forgiven your faith has saved you go in peace see where peace comes from Comes from adoring Jesus. Comes from elevating Jesus for who he is, for what he's done. Nothing else matters. Neither our roles nor our genders. Let's pray. Jesus, may we thoroughly and completely and utterly worship you. For those who are new, who are still figuring you out, maybe what the big deal is, I pray that you would enlarge yourself to them. For those of us who think we know you, but really we're more closely tied to our roles or our work in church. Lord, would you enlarge yourself in us too, So magnify yourself that we would be so at peace, so satisfied, and so selflessly seek in whatever way you call us to carry your teaching through as you've designed it to be. God, I thank you for the women in Pathway to Life. Lord, I thank you for your spectacular work in them. I thank you for your spectacular work through them. And I pray that you would raise up from among them powerful, faithful, fruitful giants of the faith through whom you would glorify yourself in remarkable ways. I pray for our elders, our men at home. Forgive us for where we are so far from Adam, the Adam who you've created us to be. Help us, we pray. Instill in us what you had in mind for us. And we thank you so much that in all of this, you've promised to be faithful, to help, to be our helper. We glorify you, we love you, In the name of Jesus, Amen. We're going to sing one last song and then I'll be back up with a few announcements. Uh, And as the musicians come on up, um, yeah, come on up, guys. I, I just encourage you to hear the words of this song.